Greetings and salutations, potential friends and listeners. Welcome to 66 Degrees Nerd. My name is Sam, and I will be your host as we dive into the vast waters of nerddom, geekery, and popular culture. Before we begin this, my premiere episode, I want to take a moment to thank any and all of you who may be listening to this podcast. The worth of your time and support are beyond measure. If you like what you hear today, then don't hesitate to enact the holy trinity of the internet and like, comment, and subscribe. You can also find 66 Degrees Nerd on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so feel free to join our growing communities there. Links for all of this will be available in the podcast description. For my first topic of discussion, it seemed most appropriate to tackle a subject that I felt the most comfortable with. So while the future of this podcast will dive into discussions on comics, television, movies and more, today I will be discussing video games, and more specifically a selection of games that I have been playing recently. Before that though, a brief tangent into my history with this topic. Now for some it may be food, for others perhaps it is sports or exercise. But for me, throughout my life, I've always had the great pleasure of having video games act as a central element that binds myself together with the people closest to me. Some of my earliest memories are of sitting in my childhood home, eagerly watching as my parents played Sonic the Hedgehog on the Sega Mega Drive, and waiting desperately to have a go myself. When I did finally pick up that controller, it sparked off a lifelong love affair that has in many ways shaped the person I have become. It is certainly quite unlikely that I would be here recording this podcast without those early moments filling me with wonder and inspiration. I also feel very fortunate to have grown up during the time period that I have. Being able to see this medium grow and develop as the worlds being created grew and developed alongside it. Where once I was blown away by watching a small cluster of squares in the vague shape of an Italian plumber bounce on a different set of squares that looked sort of like a mushroom, today I am left breathless as I place a VR headset on and am immediately transported to a whole new reality that can be my playground. The more that the industry grows, and the more amazing the technology that powers this special form of entertainment gets, the more excited I become about the future that this industry has, and the more excited I become to see what's around the corner. When I've referred to video games as a special form of entertainment, I truly mean that. The way in which this medium is used to tell amazing stories, showcase phenomenal artwork, and to regale us with music that can move us to tears is quite frankly unlike anything else in the world. I have always been proud to call myself a gamer, and I feel like I always will. But less about the past. Let's bring this back to the topic at hand and discuss a few different video games that I have been playing lately. To begin with, I want to draw my attention towards the battle royale genre and more specifically, the game that perhaps more than any other has popularised the idea. I am of course talking about Fortnite. Love it or hate it, it's hard to deny that this titan of a game has had a huge impact 
on the lives of almost every gamer on the planet. Even if you have not played the game directly, chances are that you have been affected some way by the aggressive tactics of the Epic Game Store that this game helped to finance. But I'm not here to speak negatively of either Fortnite or its developer, because the truth is that this game has pleasantly surprised me over the last week or two. My journey with Fortnite began with its inception, back when the now renamed Save the World mode was the game. Something about the mixture of base building and the wave-based combat was a combination that just scratched multiple itches. Unfortunately, the end result was a little bit messy for my liking. The general gameplay loop was appealing, but the multitude of interlocking systems that surrounded this loop was too confusing for me to invest my time into. Despite this, I made sure to keep an eye on the game's progress, and it wasn't too long before the people at Epic came out with a new game mode for Fortnite in its Battle Royale mode. For those who are unfamiliar with the concept, a Battle Royale game is categorised by having a select number of players, usually around 100, drop onto a map to search for equipment and fight it out until one player remains. To ensure that the flow of combat remains steady, the game will employ the mechanic of a closing ring that forces players into a smaller and smaller space. Fortnite sought to shake up this established formula by bringing the base building mechanics from the Save the World mode and allow players to harvest resources, meaning that cover in a firefight was only ever a few clicks away. The game was a roaring success of course, and with the addition of premium currencies, battle passes and themed skins, the game was also in a great position to make Epic a lot of money. It was a shame, of course, that the success of the Battle Royale mode led the Save the World mode to become neglected, but generally, I view the move as a step in the right direction, and in more recent times, the mode has received a bit more love and attention. Another aspect to what helped make Fortnite a roaring success was the implementation of a timed season system. However, this same system is ultimately what led to me falling out with the game until the most recent changes. On a set schedule of approximately two months, Fortnite will transition from one season to another, bringing with it changes to its map, the available equipment, and a new battle pass with new rewards for people to earn. This model is essentially the gold standard for games of these types now, and has even started to bleed out into other genres who have seen the potential profits in such a system. As is often the case, Fortnite did something a little different though. They used the seasons not only as a way to make more money, but also as a way of telling stories. These events would begin small. A few members of the community perhaps noticing that all of the telescopes in the game were now pointing in the same direction. Then, maybe out of nowhere, television sets in houses would start issuing an emergency broadcast. Before you knew it, a shining point would appear in the sky that over a number of weeks, if not months, would grow, until eventually one of the map's landmarks has been wiped out by a meteor strike. Rest in peace, Dusty Depot. This way of telling the story was amazing to watch, 
It was something that the average player could happily ignore as they went about their business. But for those paying attention, it created a real buzz around the game, and started a number of conversations online as to what exactly was going on. It kept the game alive, and firmly in the forefront of people's minds. This strength of the game was also unfortunately something that created a weakness for myself, however. After playing the first few seasons, I moved away from Fortnite to focus on other games, only logging on once in a blue moon in order to check out some new skins, but never really to play any games. This changed recently, however, as I logged on to what I would later discover would be the end of the life of Season 10, and more importantly, the end of Fortnite as we knew it at the time. I had been reading a lot of news on Reddit about the next season after Season 10, and the expectations that people had about what this new season would bring, and it got me curious. When I tried to play the game though, I was greeted with a map that bore very little resemblance to the one that I knew. Everything seemed incredibly chaotic. The weapons were all unfamiliar, and generally I came out of that game feeling like I was just completely out of the loop. But as I mentioned, this was all about to change. Not too long after my misadventures with trying to get back into Fortnite, the game went through a period of downtime in which literally everything was sucked into a black hole. The slate was cleared completely, and the game was ready to be reborn. What we got from this process was Fortnite Chapter 2 Season 1, an update that brought with it a new, slightly more mature graphical style, the much-anticipated new map and perhaps most excitingly for me, a rebalanced loot table that simplified the weapon choices to just a core selection. I have had an absolute blast with this new incarnation of Fortnite, feeling a rush in every game that I have played that I have felt was missing since when I first started playing the game. One particular factor though has contributed to this more than any other, AI opponents. When you drop into games now, some of the people you are competing against are in actual fact AI-controlled opponents who are also competing for the Victory Royale. This was a change that I thought at first would be something that would put me off of playing the game, but strangely, having a selection of enemies who are almost guaranteed to be worse at the game than myself has been a little bit of a boon. Since these targets are easier to dispatch, it has been teaching me to be far more aggressive in my playstyle, and then when I happen to come across other people, then this has led me to getting more kills, and almost one in every single game that I have played. Something that would never have happened before in the old Chapter 1 version of Fortnite. This success though isn't just limited to killing bots, as my efforts in holding back the rise of Skynet has also helped me learn to aim better and react better to just general combat in the game, which is also making me play better against other human-controlled opponents. For anyone who wrote off Fortnite in the past, I do not blame you. I did so myself on several occasions, but to those same people, I urge you to try the newest update and give it a go. Like me, you may just be surprised, and worst case scenario, you can get lost in the absolutely gorgeous environments of the new map. The new Slurpee Swamp is a particular favourite of mine. This really only just scratched the surface of what the new Fortnite has to offer, 
and for those who would be interested in me diving deeper into these new game mechanics, let me know, and I can do a future episode dedicated to them. But for now, it's time to move on from one hostile environment right into another. The second game on my list of things to discuss is EVE Online, the popular space-based MMO made by CCP Games right here in Reykjavik. For the uninitiated in the ways of EVE, you play as a Capsuleer, a genetically enhanced humanoid who has the ability to hardwire themselves into their ships via a specialised capsule. This link gives them full control over their ship, which you as the player control as you fly through the thousands of star systems in New Eden. What makes EVE unlike anything else I have played is the fact that the game is a true sandbox experience. The economy and politics of New Eden are entirely run and managed by its player base, which results in a game environment that in many ways mirrors the real world. The ships you fly, the guns you fire, and the ammunition you load them with would have most likely been player-created in a supply chain so complex it makes my head spin every time I attempt to envision it. It is this vast complexity, though, that truly makes EVE Online something that most people can enjoy on some level. You can take a peaceful life, just mining in high-security space. You can carve out a role as a hauler, taking contracts to move things from one place to another. Or you can, of course, partake in more hostile pursuits. Players are encouraged to join corporations, groups of like-minded players who work towards a certain goal in the game. Corporations are then in turn encouraged to form alliances with other corps, and with enough ships under your influence, you may find yourself contending to run ever-increasing sections of space. That is, assuming you don't fall prey to a hostile takeover or tactical espionage. EVE has always been a game that I wanted to love, but have never quite been able to connect to. With my latest attempt, though, I have come at the game with an all-new account that has allowed me to experience the revamped new player experience, as well as relearning some of the basics that I had perhaps allowed myself to forget. I am happy to report that my experiences this time around have been much more positive. I have been focusing on exploration and military-based playstyles, which deliver a much more exciting kind of play session than the industry fields I played around with in the past. CCP has also released a mobile companion app alongside the game known as the EVE Portal. This connection to the game with regular updates as the progress of my skill training and to the mail I receive helps to keep the game in my mind, and for times when I am unable to log into EVE directly, I can still keep my training queue populated. I'm sure I will have more to say about EVE in a future episode, as my new adventures in New Eden unfold. The next game I want to talk about is something of a last minute addition to the script. This slot had originally been reserved for the action RPG Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 on the Nintendo Switch. I would have spoken at great length about my love of the games when I was young, and how they introduced me to my favourite Marvel superhero, Doctor Strange, whose comics I now collect on a monthly basis. But then something happened. Obsidian happened. The Outer Worlds happened. 
As soon as I loaded up this game, which I was able to play thanks to Xbox Games Pass for PC, I was greeted with something that I didn't even know my heart was yearning for. My initial introduction to an Obsidian-made RPG was with Fallout New Vegas, the spin-off title from Fallout 3. It took much of the same formula from Fallout 3, and many of the same assets, but repackaged it into a new story, and of course, plunged it all into a new environment. From memory, I recall Obsidian's take on the wasteland of post-apocalyptic America being a rather difficult experience. Certainly more difficult feeling than Fallout 3 had been. Difficulty aside though, I definitely remember that the game was just oozing with personality. The Outer Worlds is no different in that respect. My initial reaction to the game was that it took elements from the Fallout series, wrapped it up in a presentation reminiscent of Bioshock Infinite, and then shot the whole thing out into space. The truth is, however, that The Outer Worlds is far, far better than this. Obsidian has clearly taken a lot of time to really consider how to build out a game like this, and that effort shows in its presentation. When playing role-playing games like this in the past, I like to create characters that focus on more scientific and charismatic skills. I want my character to be able to talk or think his way out of situations, but generally this leaves me with a combat experience that is most assuredly lacking. The Outer Worlds, however, has come up with remarkably simple yet effective ways of handling this issue. When I rank up points in, say, Intimidation, I am not only offered additional dialogue choices when dealing with NPCs that can take missions in entirely different directions, but my intimidating presence also has the chance to cause enemies to become scared of me and cower in fear. While I may not have the skills to fire pinpoint high damage shots, this few moments of having my enemy stop in his tracks more than makes up for these shortcomings and allows me to still engage in combat when combat is my only option. I am still only in the opening hours of this game, but I am already sold on what it has to offer, and cannot wait to dive even further into the experience. The guns just feel amazing to fire, and each one feels different from the last. The characters all feel like individuals, rather than just carbon copies of one of a handful of personality types, and the visuals. The visuals have caused my eyes to almost pop out of my head on more than one occasion. If you have Xbox Games Pass and you have not yet downloaded The Outer Worlds, then I recommend you pause this podcast and do so immediately. Even if you don't have Games Pass, I would most certainly recommend this title for purchase. You can listen to my final segments as it comes in. If you find yourself being interested and would like a more in-depth review of The Outer Worlds, then do let me know, and I can most definitely make that happen in the near future. That brings me to the final game I have to present you with today, and this one is another MMORPG. This time though, we are trading our spaceships for horses and our laser cannons for swords and shields as we turn our attention to the planet of Azeroth and the world of Warcraft. With BlizzCon just around the corner, it's an incredibly exciting time to be a WoW player. The mysteries of the upcoming 8.3 patch are slowly unravelling. The plots and machinations of our old god antagonists are coming to a head, 
and of course new allies are stepping up to join our cause. Battle for Azeroth has been an expansion of extreme highs and lows, but the expansion is soon to end, and with that in mind we also look to BlizzCon to inform us of what's coming next. Leaks and speculation seem to be hinting at the next destination for our heroes being the Shadowlands as we tackle the forces of death, a power whose influence has only grown stronger as our factions of the Alliance and the Horde go to war time and time again. We will be going more into these ideas in the next episode of this podcast, which will be a BlizzCon special, where we will finally have the answers revealed to us. But what have I been doing in the Azeroth of the present? The last patch to release was 8.2.5, and unfortunately it has perhaps been the least gameplay focused patch that we have had so far in this expansion. As such, my time in the game has not been overly high, but I have found something to do. I have rejoined the Horde. From the start of Battle for Azeroth, I was determined that I was going to try and focus more on the Horde, the faction which I have always felt the closest affinity to. Two rather large obstacles stood in my way though. Firstly was the story. I really disliked the story that the Horde was being presented with, with the Banshee Queen Sylvanas as our war chief. Secondly was the unfortunate fact that all of my friends I have who play this game play for the Alliance. Begrudgingly, I had to turn my back on the Horde, a decision that I was never truly able to make peace with. I should have had more faith in Blizzard perhaps. It does seem as though the story that the Horde faced this expansion was designed to make us feel uncomfortable. It was supposed to make us distrusting of Sylvanas, who ultimately seems to have lost her grip on the races of the Horde, as her focuses have been drawn ever towards her own personal ambitions rather than those of the Collective. After seeing how the story ended through the cinematics that I witnessed via my Alliance Hunter, who is a gnome for anyone curious, I was eager to go back and experience it from the start to see how the story progressed and what signs I may have missed about the seemingly inevitable conclusion we were heading towards. In order to do this, I took my once Kul'Tiran human shaman and gave him a faction swapping makeover to become a proud and mighty Tauren shaman instead. Reconnecting with my faction and getting to properly experience the story has been something of a delight and has given me a sizable to-do list as I re experience the expansion from the Horde perspective, and prepare my beloved shaman for his upcoming transformation into an adorable little fox person when the next patch does indeed come out. I am a huge World of Warcraft fan. The wallpapers of my dual monitors are the Alliance and Horde symbols, and I follow all the twists, turns and leaks of this game perhaps more than I do any other. I am a regular viewer of YouTube channels who focus on World of Warcraft content like Taliesin and Evertel, Bellular Gaming, Dalaran Gaming and many more. I have played this game on and off since the Wrath of the Lich King, and while I do not always agree with the decisions made by Blizzard about the direction of the World of Warcraft, I don't see myself stopping these adventures in Azeroth anytime soon. I hope you've enjoyed this little peek into the wonderful world of gaming that I have been enjoying in recent times. 
Gaming has always been a source of relaxation for me. I love nothing more than losing myself in another world and allowing my imagination to run wild as I play. I am always on the lookout for great new games to play as well, so if you have any recommendations for me then please do send them my way. If I play a game and end up liking it, you might just get a shout out on a future episode. With that though, we have reached the end of the show. I would like to take a moment to once again thank anyone and everyone who might be listening to this podcast. Having this opportunity to share a piece of myself with a group of amazing, like-minded people is something that fills me with immense joy and excitement. If you have enjoyed what you have listened to, then please leave a review, either good or bad. In the early days of this adventure, your thoughts on the show will be invaluable in helping me to shape this podcast into something that I can be truly proud of. And of course, if you know anyone who would be interested in listening to the verbalisation of my rather chatty inner monologue, then do share this with them. With that being said, my name has been Sam, you have been listening to the 66 Degrees Nerd podcast, and I hope you have an amazing day wherever you are in the world. Goodbye.